Hey everyone, Steven and Jake here. And great news, we got successfully funded on Kickstarter. And before we dive into today's episode, we want to take a moment to thank our first round of Kickstarter backers. Jake, would you like to do the honors of the first one? Yes, thank you very much, Dominic. Ellen Chiza. Sharkbutt McGee. George Chiza. Pooja Mehta. And Quarry Ridge Animal Hospital, the state-of-art facility located in Ridgefield, Connecticut, provides comprehensive medical, dental, and surgical services to all small and exotic animals. The team led by Dr. Donna Cabelli, who was named Veterinarian of the Year by Connecticut Veterinary Medical Foundation, emphasizes compassion and one-on-one care. Schedule your pet's next checkup by visiting qrah.com. Once again, that's www. Dot qrah dot com, and now on to episode three. Hi, I'm Jake, and I'm Stephen. Welcome to Tales from the SaaS Graveyard, where we talk to employees of tech companies that are in the middle of the bell curve, not going out of business, but definitely not hitting the big time. The SaaS Graveyard is a purgatory populated by companies that have made it to annual revenues in the thirty to fifty million range, but can't get to the next level, which is pretty impressive outside of Silicon Valley, but frowned upon here. We interview folks in various roles about their experience working at companies like this. We're looking to see what common themes emerge across industries and roles. Today we'll be talking with my friend Shane, who is a business development rep. For two years, he worked at a SaaS company that went after the events technology space. What exactly is the events technology space? Is that where a company sells that extra cushiony carpeting at trade shows? I believe they focus on everything but the carpets. This could range from managing an event itself, checking people in, selling tickets, to running the marketing for the event. Any application a company uses to manage or promote their event would be in this industry. This sounds like a tough area to sell into. And being a business development rep makes it even harder. For those who don't know, a BDR, or business development rep, has one of the hardest roles in sales. They're responsible with generating leads at the top of the funnel. They do this by making cold calls, emailing folks they don't know, stalking editors on LinkedIn to try and raise awareness of the product. Once they've accomplished this and a lead is somewhat interested in the product, they hand the account off to a salesperson who closes the deal. Basically, the BDR faces the bulk of the rejections and gets very little of the glory. That's right. This is a hard job. I'd be horrible at it. Jake, I think you'd be particularly bad at this. You can't even get your wife to listen to our podcast. Luckily, our guest today really excelled in this role. Shane, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. So the, the first thing we really want to talk about is just give us a sense of this company that you were at. Like, it's the Uber of X. Let's hear that. Sure, statement. sure, sure. I'd say it was the Facebook, a mix of Facebook and Marketo, but for the event space. Gotcha. Yeah, so the biggest uh, part of the marketing budget and like, the least amount of data from it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Awesome. And I guess before joining this company, where were you at? Yeah, I uh, for about two and a half years, I was one of the only salespeople in a, in a small agency that focused on uh, digital marketing and uh, mainly catering to SMBs. And once I realized I kind of uh, out, outgrew uh, the product over there, I wanted to do bigger and better things, I started my search. And, uh, uh, and then this company came along, the SG. Gotcha. <laughs> Did you find out about them through a recruiter or... You know, I was uh, I was doing some extensive research. I built a whole list of criteria, and every time a recruiter would reach out to me, I would send them over that criteria sheet and be like, "If you have anything within this within these criteria, you could get back to me." 
And a few recruiters actually came back and I saw like, you know, like a Venn diagram, like a lot of fingers are pointing at this company, including a lot of other lists on the internet, as well as the growth stats on LinkedIn. So I thought, you know, maybe it's time to look into them. Gotcha. Yeah. And how big was the company when you got there? Like the number of people, size of revenue, funding? Yeah, yeah. So when I got there, the company was uh, about uh, 20 mil in funding. Um, the I was employee number. It's it's interesting because when I began my pro my interview process, uh, there was around 80, 85. Once I started, I was employee number one twenty four or one twenty five. Oh, it's a lot of growth. So a lot of growth was happening. Yeah. And what was your role when you first joined here? Sure. So I started off as a sales development representative. Um, I was it was a step down from my previous role as an account executive at the previous company, and uh, part of me thought, hey, you know, I. I, I can land an AE position elsewhere, uh, but the, the value proposition and the things that this company was doing was so interesting to me that I thought, you know what, it's worth it. I'll take a step back and very quickly gain it forward. Uh, it'll be all worth it in the end. So like for, for those of the listeners who don't know what a sales development representative is, it's typically during the, the sales process, you have the LDRs, which is the lead development team. They're responsible for making lists. Um, and uh, sometimes marketing or sales ops does that. Then you have the SDRs who are actually engaged in constant cold calling, prospecting, and re really trying to get buyer into a room with a, a senior uh, mm -hmm. uh, executive, sale, an account executive who essentially closes the deal and then pass it off to uh, customer success to implement. Yeah. Gotcha. And did you have any reservations? Of course, you mentioned that you had to take a step down and roll, but you were pretty excited yeah. about that. Did you have any other reservations about the opportunity? Yeah, you know, it was pretty much this uh, step back was the only thing that was really holding me back. Um, and they, they let me know that, you know, typically people move up within nine months. And I set a mental goal for myself. Like for me, I'll do it in six months, no problem. Um, and uh, that was pretty much the only thing. Uh, I, it, and it was kind of an easy choice too, because looking at the companies, at the other companies that were, uh, that I found during my research, none of them really excited me nearly as much as this one. Uh, and it, it just, it just seemed like, uh, I don't know, my heart was in the right place when I was talking to them. Yeah. So when you mentioned like that you were excited and it, it, it met all the criteria that you're sending to the, to the recruiters, what were those criteria that, that got you so excited? So uh, I uh, was very much focused on marketing technology. Uh, and I wanted to stay there. That's what excites me. Selling to marketers, I absolutely love it. I wanted a company that was going through a fast stage of growth, but at the same time was something new and unique. Uh, and I also wanted to work for a company that was a winner in its space. So, you know, just like we did uh, in a lot of our strategy classes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Steve and I went to together. You know, I did the analysis, looked at the market, and uh, there was nothing else even coming close to it. Also tried to look at who the leadership is, what their history, uh, who the investors are. I wanted to make sure that people much smarter than me actually right. believe in this company, not just myself. And the most important part of all was uh, what's the DNA of the company like? Because at the end of the day, it's the product is very important. The space is important, but it's who you're spending most of your life with too, right? So that DNA was a major element for me. So these guys kind of hit all the dots. Is there any information that looking back you wish you knew before you started? Um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, however, I don't know if this, these are typical, uh, points of data that would be shared with you during, uh, this, uh, this time. And I feel like at this point in time too, even if I knew, uh, these variables, I don't know if I could have even predicted, uh, given the knowledge that I had, 
And, uh, and these things would be like, you know, what's the cost of acquisition? What's the cost of goods sold? What's the lifetime value? You know, what's, uh, you know, what's the strat- what's the uh, 369 as well as like the next five-year strategy and the exit plan? So, I mean, I asked uh, the the harvesting plan, right? And like where, where, where all this is going. But uh, I, I feel like even with the folks that I was talking to at the time, they probably couldn't have predicted a lot of the stuff that, that happened later on. So I guess starting there. You know, you're excited yeah. about this new role. Can you describe your first month at this new company? I'm going to say that uh, the training was amazing. Uh, they really made an experience to join the team. Uh, I think uh, one of the biggest elements that I took away from this company was uh, the, the people that work there. The belief in the product was so, so strong. Uh, it was almost cult-like, mm-hmm. right? So you, when you came in there, you you felt like you're part of like the next big thing. We thought we we're gonna kick Google's uh, Google's behind. Uh, and, uh, uh, it was uh, you know like everyone followed like all of the the the, the DNA and the corporate values. So every, like drinking the Kool Aid and being excited, and every single time you book a meeting, there'd be like a scoreboard and everyone's celebrating with you. So it's like it was it was uh, it was very easy to fall in love with, you know, um, and uh, and then um, let's see, f- phenomenal team building efforts, uh, public wins. The team was uh, also very focused on not only working really hard, which you know I've, I've seen experiences with in sales, just like my way or the highway kind of thing, but the team was also very focused on working smart, right? Like uh, the head of sales would have like, hey, here are the KPIs you hit them and then you could go home like you you don't you're, you're not supposed to be here for 10 hours you're not supposed to be here for 12 hours unless you want to beat everybody else and i welcome it however within these eight hours you should be able to hit all these kpis and mathematically speaking based off our previous efforts they will lead you to success and the fact that my first week once i did exactly as i was told went maybe a little bit over i was already tied for like the first like top performer on my team and uh, just seeing things work uh, and having a model that works, uh, to me, that's been just like so rare going from team to team that I still, I still yet like kind of uh, really would love to find that somewhere else, you know, but maybe it was just like that magic point in time that really caught me. So like that first, uh, that first month, it was uh, drinking straight out of the fire hydrant and drinking the Kool-Aid straight out of the fire hydrant, I would even say. Was yeah. it that, was it that the, the techniques they recommended were so good or was it that the product was so good? Why did, were you it was so a, so easily able to kind of rise up within the ranks? Yeah. Uh, you know, now that I look back, I, I, I realized that uh, there was a few different things. Uh, I did a few things right, but then there was an element of luck uh, as well in there. <laughs> So I realized that the first team I was put on was a team of, uh, we're, we're going after educational institutions and nonprofits and professional associations. Typically, when you're cold calling that market, when you're emailing, open rates, uh, phone pickup rates are extremely high. So from there, it's, all right, how good is your pitch and how easily can you convince somebody to take a meeting? Uh, and given the fact that I just said my connect rates were going through the, the roof compared to other teams, mid-market enterprise, it was just like how good I just now had to beat my team members <laughs> at uh, booking more phone calls. Uh, it was that, and then on the other front, I just tried to take lessons from the top performance, analyze their pitch, and try to implement it as much as possible. Uh, and it just ended up working. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about a little bit more about this training, because especially at kind of a, yeah. a smaller company, really refining that process. What tools did they have in place? Did they have like a CRM already yeah. set up for you? Kind of what what was your day to day life looking like at that point? Absolutely. And uh, I, I got to say, uh, this company did build a world-class uh, sales development organization uh, in terms of 
uh, research uh, in terms of technology implementation, management, uh, and really celebrating the wins. Mm -hmm. So uh, in terms of the tech stack, so let's talk about that. I'd say that uh, there was uh, a team of uh, outsourced data scientists that would be responsible for list building and scraping uh, information of uh, whatever our competitors might be doing that's publicly available, uh, as well as our uh, information on our targets. And all this data would be flowing into our Salesforce. Aside from those lists, we also had access to Zoom Info. So all the, all the data would be coming in from there. Uh, within Salesforce, uh, the, the sales ops team did an amazing job of actually breaking down um, different verticals. I believe we use lean data mm -hmm. to really uh, route uh, all the leads properly and create very good dashboards within Salesforce so that each rep knows exactly which companies and which targets are within their territories as well as have phone numbers to very quickly reach them. Uh, we use the uh, InsideSales.com uh, mm -hmm. out of Utah for uh, being able to make quick phone calls, have the phone calls recorded, as well as automatically uh, have them uh, plugged into Salesforce. That was slightly before sales automation platforms became a thing, like Outreach and Apollo and SalesLoft today. So back then we're using ClearSlide. It sucked to have to manually write out each email. Uh, and some, there were days when I had to bust out 60 by hand. <laughs> uh, but uh, at least like when we did it in ClearSight, at least you could quickly use templates, quickly attach uh, uh, other resources to it. And then, uh, and then on the other front, I believe uh, we were using uh, gotomeeting.com uh, to kind of set up the, the calendar invites. And from there, it would get passed off to the, to the account executives. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, now, Shane, you mentioned that you felt like you were able to really exceed kind of off of Jake's question. Compared to your colleagues, did they have a different background? Were they coming more from the industry that the company was serving? Or what made you more executed, you felt like, um, yeah. to do your job better? Uh, I'd say that um, it, was a, it was a few different elements. I'd say that I, I, I really did believe in the product. Like, I was drinking the Cooley Hearts, so maybe that, that, uh, that belief mm -hmm. uh, really took it to the next level. Like, I don't know if you guys watch any, like, sports. You see, like, the super... Oftentimes, like the, the most religious fighter, like makes it to the top of the of, of a man. You're like, I was sent here by God to win this belt, and the, oftentimes I felt like, hey, like people need to know about this, right? So there is that belief factor. But aside from that, I thought I did some of the best work of my life when it came to recognizing patterns, right? Mm -hmm. So as soon as uh, based off of uh, um, open rates, response rates, connect rates, uh, clients, close one business, uh, just. Uh, based off what's going on in the industry of our with our competition to pick mm -hmm. up, uh, hey, where are where do we see the signs? And then try, try to triangulate that specific group of uh, prospects mm -hmm. and go after them extremely hard, right? Hey, the Association of Realtors of Kentucky mm -hmm. took a meeting with us, became a client. I have 14 states and each one of those states has that association. I'm gonna call every single one of them five times mm -hmm. e to each of the targets every day and and within that week that would be you know that would be 10 meetings out of the 14 states and they would all take meetings all right that's a great report so <laughs> uh all that ended up working out really well to my advantage which kind of helped me uh, quickly bust through the ranks to mid-market and then uh, then i was leading the sdrs on the enterprise team so i wrote the playbook i began training a lot of the new guys uh the, the folks i trained ended up being in like the top 15 percent of the company actually Wow. And uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of became our own little click from there, and uh, that's that's that went into a whole story of its own there. Uh, but on a day to day, uh, what was really interesting with the SDRs, given the fact that their KPIs are so marked out, 
uh, based off your territory, East Coast comes in 6 a.m. Uh, Central and Mountain Time starts at 7. Pacific starts at 8. And, uh, you know, you work until 3, 4, or 5. Here's your territory. Like, you build your own list, and uh, you're responsible for booking, you know, 25 meetings. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you, if you exceed that, you get more accelerators. You get prizes off of that, and there's scoreboards everywhere so everybody can see your performance. So every day was game day. Oh, wow. uh, so I was like, it was kind of cool. Like, like uh, the head of sales development really gamified the, the, whole, uh, the whole process. And from there, it's like, you know, I was able to create my own position as a junior enterprise sales rep. Mm-hmm. So kind of skip out on like the association and the mid-market AE and kind of start closing enterprise deals earlier on in my career, which uh, was uh, amazing other company to let me do. Yeah. yeah. When you start, how many people were in the sales, were on the sales team total? Let's see. So I'd say on the SDR side, there was less than 20 of us. And uh, if we say there was around like two SDRs per rep, so I'd say maybe 30 per, 30-person team. Uh, by the end, by the time I left, I think our sales force was 90, maybe 90 plus strong. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was a big global team uh, with folks in Europe, uh, with folks in East Asia. So uh, it was uh, it was blowing up. Yeah. Before we get into the thick of things, it seemed like everything was really smooth and great from when you initially started. Were there any red flags that you noticed or anything you felt like, well, this seems a little bit weird? <laughs> in, that, <laughs> in that first in month. In that first month. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there was a, it, it, was, it was kind of interesting to, like, I, I just started noticing, like, smaller things, like, you know, there's maybe one or two reps that were um, closing, like, the bigger deals, but a lot of the deals, the average deal size didn't seem to be too big, right? So, um, not too many people were actually hitting their numbers. So, if you look at, you know, you look at a successful sales organization, and ideally, you should have about, I don't know, like, 60 to 70% hitting their numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe uh, five to ten percent just blowing it out, and then you have the, the bottom performers, and you know they constantly re- keep getting replaced. And uh, I could just see like the the average deal size and the percentage of people hitting quota not not getting there. And then like our my team leader wasn't telling me exactly like what our number was versus what we're hitting. So uh, it kind of seemed a little bit odd, as well as seeing like the number of promotions uh, seemed to decrease a little bit as well. So obviously something was off. Uh, but uh, in my mind, I believe in our leadership so much mm-hmm. that I thought, you know what, there must be a logical explanation to all right. of this. So gotcha. <laughs> uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to maybe take a step back and just, you know, get a of how long did you work at this company overall? Uh, two and a half years, two years and six months. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, when you talked about sort of the things that were exciting about why to join, one thing that I was curious about. You know, we all, when we join a company, we want to grow in certain ways. Yeah. Was it, and a lot of things you talked about were growing, was it more about financial growth of, oh, I think this company can, you know, hit big and there's going to be a big payout? Or was it more about career development of, oh, I want to learn more skills and I think I can do it? Or best of both worlds, do you think you could get both out of this? Uh, best of both worlds plus a third world on top of that. Uh, the CEO of this company, uh, he really cared about making a difference too. You know, he himself is from SF, like born and raised, and he, he cared a lot about giving back to the community. So we'd be like uh, giving our product away for free on a volunteer basis to a lot of like charity organizations and like folks who felt connected to that cause would actually like help implement it so that they could uh, increase uh, fundraising efforts, engagement among, uh, you know, the members of their organization. And 
and he would actually like uh, teach uh, local girls in like uh, disenfranchised neighborhoods of San Francisco how to code. So like uh, seeing that as well as actually donating a percentage of the profits to various wow. causes as well. To me, that was amazing. And then, you know, for me, I, I, I saw I saw a few of the reps close a few million, like uh, do a million or two million a year in sales. And I said, I want to be just like those guys. And I see myself being one of those guys. And on top of that, it's just selling to people that I really love hanging out with on a daily basis. You know, it's like product people, marketing people, mm-hmm. and just a super interesting space, yeah. Cool. Now, you mentioned that, you know, when you joined, you have, they told you, oh, it'll take about nine months to get promoted, and you had in your mind, I want to get six months. How yeah. long did it take you to move up? You know, this was a, <laughs> this is an interesting way, too. So I'd say that uh, within my first three months, I, like, I, I, I sucked my territory dry. So there's nobody, like, based off the list they gave me, there's no one left for me to call. So, you know, they moved me over to uh, the next team, gave me a bump. Uh, so, uh, and then uh, they moved me another, um, four months later, they gave me another bump and moved me up to the next team. And then I was given an option of, uh, hey, buddy, if you want... You know, within we could uh, keep, uh, we could send you over and make you an account executive on one of the junior teams, or give me another nine months and we will create a new position just for you so that you could skip over this stuff and become uh, a junior rep on the enterprise team. And to me, I said, I said of course, right? I, I'm gonna like, like uh, all these folks, they would have had to do that for at least two to four years to get to this team. So for me, it was, a, it was kind of a no-brainer. So I said, yeah, I'll give you those nine months. And uh, over those nine months, you know, we tried to emulate uh, Salesforce and Oracle and how they have that junior uh, uh, enterprise rep role. And uh, we made it go towards the end. And I did that for, six, for the last six months uh, at the company. So can you explain, I'm not I'm not from this sort of world. Yeah, can you yeah. explain like what exactly, what, what was so great about the junior exec app versus being on the other team? Yeah, so I guess uh, in the world of, I guess in sales, your your compensation is based off of the size of the deal, right? And the size of the deal is based off of the market that you're going after. And typically, at least for this company, it's different from company to company. The junior team was like associations and uh, nonprofits and educational institutions. So the average deal size would be like four to six K, right? Um, then, uh, and the record deals would be like 20, 30 K maybe. Uh, then you had the mid-market who occasionally might hit like a gold mine and close like an 80k deal or whatnot but a lot of times it was like uh, deals went 10 to 30k and then on the enterprise side uh, an average deal size would would be like the smaller deals would be like 20k but uh, we've seen guys close deals as big as 360k and one of them would feel like we hit a record with like 400k with General Electric or Verizon was one of the two companies so I'd rather have a piece of that than a piece of that uh, plus, it's like these are the contacts you carry from company to company uh, because enterprise sales is much more uh, sought after. It's, it's a lot more strategic and a lot less transactional. So it's, it's more fun too, Got it. in my opinion. Uh, quotas are bigger. Stress is, there's more stress to it. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's its own unique beast. Yeah. And did you, when, you, when you went to that role, did you find it more fulfilling? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, being able to, you know, call your mom and let her know that, you know, you're working like a brand that she will recognize. Like I'm, I'm from like the Soviet region, right? So there's not too many like enterprise brands that are like globally known that I can talk to my mom about. But, you know, if I drop a name like Procter & Gamble, hey, you, you know that Tide or, <laughs> or, or Dad's Gillette Razor? Yeah. yeah I just I just closed the deal with their uh, parent company. How about that? 
uh, tell grandma, <laughs> right? No, is it was that was that your biggest accomplishment over the entire time there? Sort of like one of those larger enterprise sales. Uh, I'd say like those are definitely like points of uh, a lot of pride, and uh, it helped me a lot with uh, like uh, my next jobs afterwards. Uh, just being able to have all those household names like stars on the shoulders right. uh, feels good, but also like the money's better there. Uh, but I'd say in terms of uh, my biggest accomplishments. I'd say, yeah, it was, I'd say it was creating that role, uh, hitting those records, but also holding the record for having the most pipeline generated and the most sourcing, most deals booked in the company, both on a, no matter what timeline you look at, monthly, uh, quarterly, yearly, and, uh, and writing the playbook for those guys. Um, I feel like those are some probably like, that was some of the most unique and best work I did. And then, uh, and then on the enterprise side, I was just like creating a role out of nothing. So I'd say, I'd say like, I'd probably like tie those three together. <laughs> now, one thing that I think is interesting from a sales role, did you have much interaction with other departments within the company? Absolutely, yeah. And I think it really, really helped me out a lot. So you're, uh, I think when you know the product better, mm-hmm. uh, you're able to sell better, move a lot quicker without having to involve a, a sales engineer or a customer success manager, right? I, I'll bring in a new customer and I'll be hanging out with the customer success guys. Like, oh, how'd you do that? How'd you do this? Got to the point where I could like, implement things myself mm-hmm. and show things around the product and I knew every single feature every single limitation so kind of like that that helped me even close more deals than some of the senior reps uh, on top of that kind of getting to work with the product team and like hey here's what I'm hearing uh, get to implement it and that I feel like it uh, really helped take uh, help help me in sales but also help out my uh, fellow teammates on the other team and uh, kind of work work together to make things even better so because we're all just really excited about it so you, you had a lot of interaction with these other teams. Do you feel that they were of high quality? Yeah, I feel like I work with uh, some of the smartest people I ever had the uh, honor of working with. Uh, like uh, the head of product was, I don't know, he kind of had this uh, Steve Jobs-esque uh, aura around him. Every single time he would introduce like the new version of the product, it would be a spectacle. Uh, whatever sales kickoffs we might have or whatever team meetings, everyone would just shut up and listen to him deliver what's next and every single time it would be mind-blowing uh, and like with his vision and I gotta say like we I watched the company actually cross the chasm I remember making my initial phone calls where people would be like what is this all the way to a year and a half later saying how are you different than competitor A competitor B and competitor C uh, but everyone knew our name and who we were so it was like and it was thanks to that this head of product I'd say like uh, the marketing team did an amazing job of positioning us and really giving us a very cool brand, um, and uh, yeah, it's a, and and the engineers were they they were they were delivering things. Uh, I'd say like uh, it was a product driven organization, so I'd say that that might have that was both amazing and uh, probably one of the things that you know led to uh, some of the consequences the company ended up experiencing. Uh, but uh, overall, I'd say that uh, I really, really looked up to each one of those folks and still to this day, like uh, reach out to them and say, like, I need to get your point of view on this because you're the smartest person I know in this field. <laughs> cool. When you mentioned that the sales team had grown about 90 people when you left, how big was the company overall uh, by the time you left? Uh, I'd, I'd, well, the company was around like, I want to say between 300 and 340. And about how big was it in terms of how much revenue did it have on a yearly basis? Uh, between 30 and 33 mil. 
So a, a pretty decent size. Yeah, yeah, no, the tra- trajectory was looking great uh, up to up to that point. <laughs> right. So before maybe before we get into you know why things started to turn a little, I just feel more curious about the culture. Like you, you talked to a lot of people in other departments. What was the the feel in the office? Was it a quiet office where people? You know, you mentioned the sales team was celebrating. Was it lively? I would say that every single team. Uh, it was like uh, it's kind of like a high school in a way, but like a really friendly high school where people didn't like hate each other or make fun of yeah. each other, uh, and every team was very cohesive and loved absolutely loved each other. Uh, to this day, I still see these clicks from each of these teams like getting together on Instagram. Like I'm actually going to dinner on Friday with my team. Like we're all getting together, uh, and it's been four years since we all worked together. Um, so I said like everyone was getting along. The sales team was obviously very loud. Uh, the phones were ringing and oftentimes they'd have to like shove each other away so that we could hear ourselves talk. Uh, meanwhile, the engineers had to put in the other end of the, of the building so that they don't have to deal with us. <laughs> but overall, it was, a, it was a very happy, big, uh, fun family. Cool. I'm always curious, you know, in these tech companies, there are always some interesting perks or interesting offsites. Did you guys do anything that really stuck out? Uh, let's see. Interesting. Per- I mean, a lot of the same things in terms of like catered lunches, technology stipends, um, uh, getting uh, paid time off to go volunteer. Um, we, I gotta say, one of the interesting, I wouldn't say it's a perk, but one of the memories that really stands out to me, I gotta say it was my first sales kickoff where you guys know the, the chapel in the mission. It's a, it used to be an actual chapel, but now it's a bar. Yeah, okay. mm-hmm. So one of our sales kickoffs was at the chapel. And uh, you could imagine the whole sales team gathering in the basilica. And, <laughs> and like each team going up to give their update and the plans and the vision. And you're, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a religious person by any means whatsoever. But I got to say, if, uh, if I ever believed in anything or, or uh, went to church for anything, I'd say this is probably the closest to God. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So yeah. you know, you've talked a lot about how you know everyone really believed in the product, yeah. and you mentioned a little bit that uh, some of the, the metrics around the business you were a little concerned about. Can you start talking about where were the other areas we started to get a little bit more concerned about the overall health of the business? Sure, sure. Uh, well, what's interesting is that, uh, well, for me, from where I was sitting, it was uh, seeing that promotions were not coming through as quickly. Uh, some folks would just like withhold information. Uh, we would not do like, well, we would not take on like, for example, Twitter offered uh, a pretty sizable amount of cash to make some customizations for themselves within the product. And the team just said, no, the product team. And to me, I said, wow, do you guys hate money? <laughs> uh, but they were like, no, 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 no. We're a product led company. So I said, okay, well, I kind of felt like we needed the money, <laughs> but all right. Um, but uh, from where I was saying, those are the signs, but they all had logical explanations uh, to them. Um, like uh, talking to the CEO afterwards and like hearing his explanation, and he, he dives into great detail too in this article he recently posted. Um, there was uh, the way the books were being uh, looked at. Uh, not all the business was a recurring business. Uh, so there was uh, the books and the investments, all the money, like, and by, by the end of it, we've raised close to 90 million at this point. Uh, however, I, I want to say a good 40%, 30 to 40% of that revenue was not, uh, going to be renewed. It was churning. 
pretty much, yeah, almost guaranteed training. Even though our NPS score was really high, but slowly it started realizing that, oh my God, yeah, not all of this is renewable. Why wasn't it renewable? Because I mean, that, that's sort yeah. of the, the holy grail for all the SaaS companies. Just you, yeah. you sell it once and you get it repeated. That's 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 exactly right. And like, and typically when you look at like, if the churn, even the churn rate is off by 1%, then your, your hockey stick is no longer a hockey stick. Um, it was, you know, I... We were in the event space, right? So not uh, some events happen every year, some events don't. And uh, when, you know, looking at the books, that distinction was not always made or was it made in a way that was distinctive enough. Um, at the same time, uh, the cost of goods sold, uh, like uh, moving from uh, like building the, the, the product and kind of customizing to each person versus giving it to them and letting them customize on its own. That was a transition that happened a bit too late within the process as well. So burn was high. Uh, a lot of churn was going on as well. Uh, at the same time, the cost of goods was, uh, you know, it was uh, it was not ideally where it should be. And uh, while the average sales price wasn't growing as quickly as it should be. Got it. Now, one thing you, you mentioned that it was a, a red flag was that there was some information that wasn't divulged. And like, what was that information that people withheld from you? Well, it was, I wouldn't say it was withheld from me. I would I would have, the company prided itself on transparency. And I feel that if I outright asked about this information, I would have probably found, found out about it. Uh, and uh, however, essentially, exactly what I was uh, talking about that, hey, it's, uh, the move to the platform wasn't quick enough. Costs of uh, delivering the product were very high while the, the price itself wasn't as high as it, it should be. Uh, and at the same time, competitors started entering the market that were mimicking the product very closely, but would cost uh, just a fraction of the price too. So God, that was... How big were your competitors that were coming? Were they like kind of incumbents who were just coming out with a smaller thing or was it new startups competing with you? Uh, it, uh, it was actually kind of interesting to watch the industry uh, appear, mature, uh, and then consolidate. <laughs> in, a, in a two and a half year period <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of crazy yeah because like it went from what is this to how are you different than these competitors got to like there was a point in time when i was looking through the list and there was three dozen competitors it was nuts you know there was uh there was the usual suspects from the big big companies that were in the space for decades uh who had like a very basic version of the product they were making you know eventual developments too but because it had all these integrations to everything else they were doing fairly well because it's just like an add-on uh, but then you had all these new guys that would be extremely cheap uh, and we had the name for being you know the kind of the visionaries within the space the cool kids the the guys who were like like the engagement in the product was just through the roof it would be an average of like 150 actions in the app per per user mm -hmm. a day so it was a, it was a great product, uh, but that, th those are, those are the, so those are the stats essentially that, uh, uh, I, I would have gotten, I, I feel like I would have gotten if I asked, uh, the company was transparent about them. Yeah. But they weren't maybe broadcasting it out like, Hey, everybody, we have a bad churn rate. Uh, I think, I think it all happened very, very suddenly. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was some very smart uh, uh, investors and, you know, as, as we, we started hiring a lot of very senior folks, right, former executives from, uh, from Oracle uh, and like a lot, a, lot, a lot of large companies essentially, they'd be coming in and they started looking at this and they started realizing the, the numbers and like, holy crap, what do we do about this, <laughs> right? 
and uh, and that was when sort of everybody found out about it. And uh, it was uh, I guess they had a board meeting. It wasn't the most pleasant board meeting, and there was a there was a very hard decisions that that were made that night. And the decision was that if this company is to survive, we have to we have to get rid of a few appendages. Um, and uh, I think uh, the company went down to, I want to say, 140 employees. So that was from over 300. Yeah, yeah. Within one day, it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a bright and sunny morning uh, as I was coming in to train some of uh, some of the new folks. And, uh, you know, I got a I got an invitation uh, Slack invite to her. I'm like, hey, can we talk to you real quick? In my mind, I thought, great. Uh, there were some 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 asks I made and some demands. I said finally, and and I was doing really well. So I thought finally, you know, we're gonna talk shop. Right. Uh, little did I know. <laughs> it, it caught you completely off guard. It caught everybody off guard. Uh, nobody knew this was happening, uh, and uh, I think uh, that day, you know, the company was cut in half, and then later it was cut in half again. Oh, wow. uh, so. And, uh, you know, the, the CEO himself, you know, he, he reached out to every single one of us and had to explain the, the tough decision that he had to make and how extremely hard it was for him. And, you know, he, he actually really, really loved all the people he worked with. And he tried very hard to write recommendations, help people find other jobs. And uh, that was actually part of the problem, too, uh, was that per the recommendations and the ask of the investors, the cut wasn't made deep enough. So despite all that, because he was he wanted to protect his employees. Yeah, as much yeah. As he could. There was a lot of last minute decisions. So we're like, no, he stays on the boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you you mentioned that you were completely off guard, and everyone else was as well. Like no one saw this coming. Nobody saw this coming. Uh, it's uh, in fact, it was actually hilarious because uh, I came in and uh, I, I went over to my team, and my manager said, "Hey, hey, Shane, how's it going?" I said, it's going great. It was awesome working with you. I just got uh, laid off. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you later. And he said, well, if I wasn't the one laying you off, then I'll see you outside in probably an hour. <laughs> and he's like, oh, there's the message. I'll meet me outside, buddy. <laughs> so I've heard other stories of people like after there's a layoff, people tend to just meet at a bar immediately afterwards. Was there like... Oh, yeah, of- yeah. There was... There was just, uh, there was, I think there was a few different bars where everyone kind of congregated and uh, just, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I'd say, mourned slash celebrated, however you want to look at it. Yeah. So graduated as HubSpot likes, likes to call when, like, whenever employees leave HubSpot. Um, but uh, that's, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of drinking that night, but I think everyone landed on their feet very, very quickly because everyone was very smart. Uh, There's a lot of folks already hunting down for, hunting each one of us down. Like, uh, I, I had a job interview the next day, and the day after that, I had a job offer. And uh, like uh, two weeks later, I was already in a new spot that paid better and was closer to my house. So <laughs> was it just that the word got out in the industry? Oh, there's been this big layoff, and then everyone else sort of. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was that. Uh, for me, it was like you know after that, just like you said, everyone congregated at the bar, and I went to my gym the day after, and one of my uh, gym buddies said, "Hey, buddy, it's Tuesday. You look like crap." 
have you been drinking on a Monday night? What is wrong with you? And I told him what happened. He's just like, you know, funny you mentioned that because we're looking for folks with your background. <laughs> Why don't you come meet my boss this afternoon? And uh, and I did. And then like Wednesday, like uh, yeah, he he got me that uh, the job offer essentially. <laughs> awesome. That's like the dream scenario. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's good to be uh, a tech professional in uh, Silicon Valley, I guess. Right. Was there was there a, a package for the layoff or? Uh, you know, I, the package, I, uh, I got, I got a, I got my last commission check and, uh, I got about, uh, two weeks worth of, uh, worth of pay. Uh, I wouldn't say like, uh, it was the best package ever, but uh, I know that the company worked very hard. Like then again, like I, I land on my feet pretty quickly and the company, like everyone from the executive team was reaching out to make sure people land properly. And the moment they found out I was interviewing, even a few of them without me asking them, just called the, the hiring manager and said, you, you got to hire this guy. Wow. I'm vouching for him. So, wow. yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was done. Uh, I'm not going to lie that, uh, like, uh, they, I, th- I think they knew that I wasn't going to take the news well. And I, and I did. But, however, there was, like, they hired, like, folks to escort folks out, make sure they gather things, don't start anything. And, uh, I, I, like, I, I was pretty upset. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was just, like, in the moment sort of emotions. Uh, but uh, it's, like, I, I feel like they, they, they faced a very hard choice. So mm-hmm. uh, they did it right. They did it, they, they did it right by everyone. Now, so if you, you know, four years later, looking back on the experience, are you glad overall that you had worked there? Yeah, you know, I made the best decisions I could have made with the information that I had at the time. I've got to meet some amazing, amazing people. Uh, I got to work in a world-class organization and I took a lot of lessons that, you know, I teach to like the reps that I manage on a day-to-day. So it's, uh, it was, uh, it was absolutely worth it. I was like, could I have uh, risen quickly elsewhere, made more money elsewhere? Sure, of course. Uh, but, you know, the the road not taken always looks better, but uh, I have zero regrets. This is a fun, fun ride. <laughs> Very cool. One question I want to follow up on. During this time right before the layoffs, were there any major leadership changes for your department or other departments that you were like, oh, this person, they're acting a little bit differently or, well, they don't quite fit in. I wonder what's going on or like that uh like during the layoffs like to see if department heads were cut or or uh it's more like someone new came in like a month before the layoffs and mm. then they were like we need to make changes or was it purely like kind of that board meeting i think uh there were new new folks that came in yeah uh so a lot of those uh uh the 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 big wigs that i was telling you guys about came in maybe about uh a quarter before and there was like these are they're filling c-level positions um how and I don't know I don't know how much of that uh, coincided with uh, with the board because listening to the logic and listening to where the analysis came from it looks like it was uh, you know it was an analysis done by the CFO the board and the you know essentially the 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 newly executive team but mainly it was the board that was leading the charge because they were they were the ones that were running the numbers and trying to um, reconcile the books yeah was that? I guess I was sort of following up on that. Yeah. Were there any, you know, in retrospect, were there any, you know, you said you were caught off guard, but in retrospect, were there signs of like, was there anything that had been a little bit different in the last couple of months? I, I'm trying to, I, I think back too, I was like, where was the sign? Where were the signs? And it was, it was, it was, it was swift. 
I feel like the, it was just the, I think everyone believed everything was great until someone, someone one day was like, wait a second. Uh, how are we counting those numbers? <laughs> I was like, and then once they start putting together, like, holy crap, our run rate is actually way, way shorter. Um, we, we just like, there's no way we're going to, we're going to make it out unless we like, we, we got, it's like finding out you just got bit by a zombie probably like we got to chop this arm off or else that's it. Yeah. Is, is the company still operating today? Uh, it actually got acquired this year by one of, uh, one of the competitors. Um, and, uh, so the company made an exit. Um, and I, I don't know if it was a good exit or a bad exit. Uh, per, per, personally, I did not exercise uh, my options as I was leaving because I realized I hope if some of the numbers are off by this much and looking at the, the, the sales trajectory, that will this increase in value or decrease in value? I, I thought, you know, I don't want to play around with 20K right now. Right. <laughs> That's a big bet to make. Do you know of anyone, any of the people you keep in touch with, did any of them exercise their options? You know, I was recently at a wedding where uh, a lot of us uh, got together and... Uh, there was a, probably a good dozen of us. Not a single one of us exercised, and uh, the one of the folks in there knew how 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 you know how it all went down, and he, he told us we made the right choice. So at least no FOMO there. Right. <laughs> awesome, Shane. Thanks for sharing your story, and thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Another interesting view into life at a SAS graveyard. Stephen, what was your big takeaway? I was really struck by the speed that things moved. Shane talked about how the company went from being unknown to an established player in two years. And then all of a sudden, the floor fell out beneath them. Not to be pedantic, but I don't know if I would consider Shane's situation to be a SAS graveyard. Right. Was this more of a train wreck? Dumpster fire? Probably too harsh, but at a graveyard, you should see the layoffs coming at you in slow-mo. Not be in total shock. I'm just glad Shane's ability to get a new job was even quicker. If they had been more realistic on their prospects and hadn't been so aggressive on growth and hiring, maybe they wouldn't have had to make some, do something so drastic. Jake, what struck you? While the downfall is faster than we've had on our other episodes, there was a classic graveyard theme. A business model that was limited. SaaS companies are built on the fact that you sell the software once and then reap the benefits every year afterwards as your customers renew. In hindsight, it seems so obvious that having 40% of your revenue go to non-repeatable business is a recipe for disaster. But Shane describes a company where 300 people were all in right up to the day of the big layoff. The key is that Shane, and I'm guessing most of his colleagues, did not know that such a high percentage of their business was churning. Even though his company prized transparency. Scary thought, being at a graveyard company and not even knowing it. Well, thanks for joining us today, and stay tuned for our next episode when we interview an engineer in his first role. Check it out on February 11th, 2020.